You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 351. You're listening to The Lively Show. This podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Hello, my friends. It has been a minute. I have taken a big break from the show as I have been working on this audio series for you. Now you can hear the title. It's called Flowing Up. So excited to be able to share this with you guys on the five-year anniversary or post the five-year anniversary of my traveling life. As many slash most slash probably almost all of you guys know now, I sold my house and all my furniture the day week before a trip to Europe in 2016 in May. And here we are in May 2021 and I am doing a follow-up to all the things that I've learned and experienced, the more behind the scenes and personal life stories that I have and haven't shared, definitely on the emphasis on the haven't shared yet on The Lively Show with you guys. This is where I'm doing that. So the flowing up bundle, for those that are curious, I'm going to share a little bit about the chapters and what they include, but also this bundle is actually also including a lively adventure as a free download as well. So if you haven't actually had a chance, we stopped selling it a few years ago, but we had an audio series called A Lively Adventure, which was the summation of all the insights I had in the first year of travels. And then this is the five-year update. So if you want to listen to that one-year version of Jess in travel mode, you can go back in the bundle. It's free as a free bonus feature for you of the flowing up. So you can go get that. There's transcripts for the flowing up audio series that's new and the Lively Adventure audio transcripts script as well. So if you want to read it rather than listen, you can do that too. And we have a little digital downloads for you guys. We have a really, really pretty graphic of the flowing up that we thought you guys might want to have on your desktops and phones as well. So Jenna, our graphic designer, made you a little way to download those when you buy the bundle as well. So that's what the flowing up bundle includes. You can go over to jesslively.com slash flowing up to purchase it. I love the idea of flowing up. That is such a beautiful alignment of two phrases that you hear me talk a lot about, alignment and flow. That has definitely been the theme of the last five years. And so we found a cute way of doing that called flowing up. The more I let go, the higher I flowed. So it's kind of a play on words, right? There's glowing up. That's like a TikTok thing. I hear the kids are talking about these days glowing. Um, definitely glowed up over the last five years, but also the alignment that I followed in myself flowed me to higher and higher experiences, so to speak, um, in so many different ways. So even though we always say flowing downstream, the mind thinks that what's downstream might be worse than what it wants. But really what I found is when you flow, you get more than what you could have even imagined. So I love the plan words with flowing up. When it comes to this chapter, you're gonna hear, we had you guys vote in the Lively Community app which chapter of Flowing Up you wanted to hear, and you guys picked chapter five, which to be fair had for sure the sexiest title. It's called Sex, Visas, and Pure Consciousness, AKA all the times I thought it was done. Now, the backstory of this one, which you guys picked, and I see why, because the title is so cool and intriguing, it actually, I would say, is not the juiciest chapter of the whole series. So this is nice. If you like it, you're going to love the other chapters even more is all I can say. 
The title originally for chapter five was All the Times I Thought It Was Done. But in the conversation with Megan Sutherland, who's my co-host for Flowing Up and A Lively Adventure, you're going to hear her in this little chapter in all of the other chapters as well. She talks with me and just chats about all of these experiences that she's kind of been along for the ride in a sense. She's our Team Lively videographer and just a dear friend of mine that I love so much. So she's so fun to talk to. And of course, I wanted to do this with her. We were joking in this chapter, you'll hear us come to it, where we say, oh, we should call this chapter Sex Faces and Pure Consciousness. But really, it's not as much about the sex or the pure consciousness as chapters one and chapters two. So I would say that the really, in my personal opinion, juiciest chapters are like the most deep and rich. There's hour long, hours and hours of these. The chapter one is dating and relationships. Chapter two, enlightenment and realization. I go deeper in that one than I have anywhere else. So if you want to know what happened to me last year in Hawaii, or you want to know what happened at the Tony Robbins event for me a few years ago. I know a lot of people wanted to know what that was like for me. If you want to hear about psychedelics, if you want to learn about how beanbags, how I learned how to release them and why I call them beanbags and where that all came from, that's all in chapter two. Dating and relationships, I'm talking about all the different types of people I dated and the stories of the ones that really stuck out along with what I found at the top of the Belize Mayan ruins. And then in chapter three, a very popular chapter for our kind of audience, we had talk about abundance and career, how the way I found unconditional alignment, how I've done that in different facets and what turning points really made a difference for me in that unconditional abundance and career. Um, chapter four, we talk about travel safety and packing, all the things that I did to stay safe and what I packed, which are popular questions when it comes to travel. People want to know about that. And then chapter five, you're about to hear. So I'll let that speak for itself soon. And then chapter six is inner voice guidance. So this is all of the different ways and facets and times and, and places that the inner voice has guided me throughout the five years that really stuck out. And we'll also give you a plethora of ways you can also potentially hear from your own inner voice. And then last but not least, chapter seven is basically a Q&A with all the questions you guys asked us in the Lively community app, as well as reflections on the last five years and what I've really taken away from it. So there you have it. I hope you guys enjoy this, enjoyed this chapter. And if you want to join and you feel like listening to all the rest of it and your intuition wants to purchase, you're welcome to go over to justlively.com slash blowing up if you'd like to actually listen to the whole thing. Thank you guys so much. Let's go to the show. All the times I thought I was quote unquote done. That's the name of the chapter we have for this one. Yes. So what do you mean by done? Right? You're always a never ending, always expanding being. So how does my mind always keep trying to find the done point? Well, this was, as we've shared from the very beginning, never something as far as like nomading around the world was never a desire of Jess Lively, the character, never something the human ever wanted, thought that's nice for others, but definitely not for me. So even when I sold the house, I didn't think it would be too long before I found another place to be and just feel like I'm rooted in another location. I just didn't know where that location was. So throughout the entire experience, I kept hoping, it's kind of like that duck book. Wait, you have a child. Do you know that children's book that's like, are you my mom? Are you my mom? I think it's like a duck walking around trying to find their mom. Yep. Yep. I, I keep thinking, 
are you my home? Are you my home? I think that was kind of the, and also with dating, are you my partner? Are you my partner? <laughs> like this was definitely still the human construct, you know, the personality, still looking for a space, a place or a partner throughout the whole experience rather than just flowing in the ever-changing undulation of um, days and if you think of each day, as we talked about in that chapter two about enlightenment and realization, what I realized is that every day is, it's just a dream. Every day is just a dream in the daytime. Just like we have dreams at nighttime, the dreams in the daytime, there's different facets. Obviously there's more longevity and depth and complexity of this version of dreaming, but this is truly pretty much the same. So it just has a lot more of time and space that carries through consistently. So that kind of tricks our minds into thinking, it's quote unquote more real, but ultimately at a certain level of perception, you see through that. And then you're like, oh, it is real, but it isn't real. And so like each day is just being a day. Each moment's just a moment. Each place is just a a place to be in the dream that day or a person to be with in the dream that day. But my mind always like wanted there to be a permanent place and a permanent person, which is obviously insane in an impermanent reality. That's an interesting way to look at it because yeah, you don't have any expectations when you're dreaming, when you know you're, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Okay. So this is a tangent, but you know, Abraham Hicks always says it's, or maybe you haven't heard, but he, they're famous for saying it's as easy to create a castle as it is a button. And in this version of dreaming, the daydreaming, if you will, the daytime dreaming reality, that feels very hard to understand that a button and a castle could be equally easy. But if I asked you, Megan, to tomorrow dream about a tiger or dream about winning a million dollars. Is it any harder for you to dream (laughs) about a tiger than a million dollars? No, it's exactly the same. Exactly the same. So a button in a castle in a dream would be exactly the same level of hardness. Now, we're not very good at conjuring in our nighttime dreams exactly like a button or exactly like a castle. But for us to actually, if we could figure that out, if we could figure out how to select an order in our dreams, if we could figure that mechanism out, it would be completely equivalent to throw a tiger or a million dollars, or a button, or a castle into the dream. We're not very good at doing it, but if we could do it, we could type in any command, and anything could come in if we could figure out how to make it happen. But it wouldn't be harder because we don't take them as real. This reality is, (laughs) that's what all the non-physicals with law of attraction are trying to beat into the heads of the humans, is that there's no difference in this reality either, but the humans play this reality with the odds of this perception of scarcity But it's really just think of this like a virtual reality of pixels on the screen. It's not any harder to make a tiger and the pixels on the screen as it is a castle of pixels on the screen. It's just atoms and molecules and quarks and photons and chemicals that, you know, as they build up into this reality, they take on different shapes and sizes. But at the quantum level, it's all the same stuff. It's all emptiness. Don't you love we're already going there? This is a very big (laughs) tangent. Yeah, we are not even on the topic of being done. But this is, okay, so then like things like that though have been very fascinating. Now, I didn't perceive it that way when I started five years ago, I didn't have that perception. That's 2020 perception, (laughs) which is cute because it's like eyesight. But uh, that's what I know now having gone through what I went through last year. But in the point and process of the four years leading up to that, that's not how I saw it. So I definitely was still a more mechanistic, you know, real 3D I don't know, whatever you want to call like the the perception was much more human minded. So I kept looking for a place to live. 
<laughs> be done traveling. <laughs> I just didn't want to live out of a suitcase. Like I always love homes. I love decorating. Libra loves pretty things. Libra is the partnership sign. Not to get too like attached to any labels like that, but it's true. Of course, that's going to be an element of, it's not a defining factor, but of course the personality given even that kind of a tonality, if you will, to the human upbringing is something that it was looking for. Absolutely. But, um, okay. Tell me about Lisbon. Yeah. So that was in the very, very early days of my trip. So before I even started traveling, I did this tiny little mastermind group with some women that are lovely year, like over five or six years ago. And one of them was Joana. Joana's Portuguese, amazing person. And I got to know her in this more intimate group. And she lived in Porto, Portugal. She is awesome. Such a cool woman. She has an amazing graphic design business in Portugal, but works with lots of Americans and business owners from around the world. But she is grew up in an international school in Lisbon, actually. So she invited me to come to Porto because that's where she lived for a week to come to Portugal when I sold the house and all the stuff. And I was like, well, I have nowhere else to be, so I might as well go. And I did. I loved Porto. I loved Portugal immediately. It was such an amazing thing because she was even though she never really lived, I think, as a child in America, she felt very like a hybrid of America and Portugal, which was so cool because like with her clients and everything, they were a lot of my friends and peers in my space that she worked with as clients. So we had loads of things in common in that space. But then she was just this amazing host in the country of Portugal that she grew up and just gave me the best of the best. Like I met all of her Portuguese friends. I went to all the best places that she knew to take me to. I just had truly like the red carpet laid out for me because she was just such a, a dear person. So I love Porto. And then one day in the first summer of my travels, I like to joke that I was kind of my Europe gap year. So gap years, for those that probably may not know, is like usually a term that like girls or guys or anyone that is graduating high school before going to college, they'll often in Europe or Australia take a year to travel and they go hosteling and they go live around the world, wherever they want to go be and explore before they go into college. I think maybe even there could be maybe new people taking gap years after graduating college, possibly before a first job, but I think it was more commonly done after high school, before college. Not as common in America. A lot of Americans were like, what school are you going to? Quick, get in and go. Um, but the Europeans and the Aussies seem to have a bit more of a, a travel like focus and appreciation that did that more often. But I joke that my first few months were at 31, my gap year, because I... I was only single for two months between college and 31 and I didn't date anyone else. And so I just like was always in a long-term relationship or married. So I'd never really got the, like, I never hosteled. I never traveled and like did any of that kind of crazy or young stuff. But when I was hanging out with these like mid 20 somethings in Portugal, it was like my little gap year in Europe in general. So that I was just like going out, having fun. I remember we went out that night to the library, I think it was called. Uh, it's like a, a really cool bar in Porto. And we stayed out as the Portuguese do till five in the morning. This is like not, that sounds crazy to an American, but to Portuguese, they're like, yeah, breakfast after you go out. Like that's a very common, um, very normal thing. Like Americans close the bars at 12 or 2 a.m. The Portuguese, it's 6 a.m. Mostly. So we were out till five and I was very tired the next day and possibly a bit hungover. But Joanna was like, let's go to Lisbon. And I could not be bothered. I couldn't have cared if we went to Lisbon or not. I'd never seen a photo. I'd, only, I'd never even heard the name Lisbon before she mentioned it as I was in Portugal. 
So I really, honestly, if she had asked me, do you want to go? I don't even think I would have cared to say yes or no, but I just like flowed with it. Truly. She got me in the car. I had a pillow. <laughs> I was remember sleeping on the pillow. It was a few hours drive. And we got into Lisbon late at night. And as we're driving in, it's past sunset. So I couldn't see what the city looked like. Just drove through an alleyway. I saw one fountain in the dark. And then we went into a parking garage in order to park and meet one of her friends for dinner. And I immediately in that five minutes of seeing an alleyway, a fountain in a parking lot, a parking garage, not even a lot. There's no lots. There's just garages. As I'm there, I'm having two thoughts flash across the mind. One, I think I'm going to live here. And two, my family is going to come to Christmas. So you had that without even seeing anything. I had never seen anything. I didn't. All I knew is the name of the city was called Lisbon. That's it. And I I didn't have, when I heard the name Lisbon, I think I'm going to live there. It was when I was in the city driving into the parking garage. Right. So you didn't even have like a moment when you saw it. You didn't see anything yet. (laughs) No, I didn't. And so when I got into the, I said this to her right away. And then I went into the restaurant and I'm just like bubbling over with enthusiasm to her and her friend that I'm just meeting. They're laughing at me like crazy because they're like, you haven't even seen the city. Now what my enthusiasm for Lisbon is makes sense when you see the city. But the fact that I hadn't even seen it was truly just hilarious because they're like, this could be not at all. I had no idea what I was falling. Well, I wouldn't say I fell in love with it. It was just two thoughts, you could say, mm-hmm. cross the mind. But there was no mental logic or reasoning to have those thoughts. So I would ultimately say they were probably, possibly, seems like flashes of intuition. Now, that said, when I did see Lisbon in the sunshine and went out and did all the great things that she had me do, of course, I felt instantly, infinitely more in love with it. Like it only confirmed those two feelings, but the two feelings came before all of the resulting experiences I had later. Like I truly just was, I was... I loved it and I could not be stopped. Everybody thought, you know, she found her place. I thought I found my place. And it got to this point and a few months later where I was really thinking about, okay, maybe I'll move to Lisbon. And I was kind of thinking that immediately, but then I went to a conference called A-Fest, met a friend named Sebastian and Sebastian's German and lives in German Canadian and he lives in Barbados, but he was at Ibiza at this conference and we met and I kind of knew I was supposed to meet him and he became a dear friend. I'm super happy that he and I connected and he happened to be into property, like a property, I don't want to say development because he does, I mean, he actually probably does build stuff too, but that's more in Miami where I was working with him. He actually, part of his property, I don't know, empire was buying properties in Detroit, Michigan. And renting them out. Yeah. So he's there, you know, he has no background to Detroit at all. His holdings are mostly in Barbados and Miami, but for some reason he and his property partner did stuff in Detroit. And so when I met him, I'm sitting here really thinking I'm going to move to Lisbon possibly at the time. And funny enough, we're in Ibiza. We meet there. We're at the conference. Then the conference ends. I'm going back to Lisbon and so is he. So he goes back to Lisbon. So we're both there sitting, having a really luxurious, awesome lunch on a beautiful patio, looking out over the stunning rooftops of Lisbon. People have seen many photos if they've followed me on Instagram of the rooftops and the just the vistas of Lisbon are just so gorgeous. So we're sitting there and we're talking about whether I should invest in a property in Lisbon to live in myself and Airbnb when I'm not there or 
get some properties in Detroit. Now, if he had said, I buy properties that are inexpensive in St. Louis or Pittsburgh or anywhere else, I would not have cared. But the fact that it was Detroit was interesting because I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Rochester, 45 minutes from Detroit my whole life. So it was, even though I hadn't lived in Michigan more than the six months in Ann Arbor, it it was in like my 20s. I, I had gone to Ann Arbor, Michigan for college, as we know, and I grew up in Michigan, but I really left for seven years in Chicago, never thinking I'd ever go back to Michigan. So anyways, but it was kind of interesting that it was something to do with the state that I grew up in. And I was kind of curious. He told me all about the ins and outs, the returns, the properties. There's a lot of properties in Detroit. Like I had my penthouse, which was quite expensive, but then there are also places you can still get for like 50 to $60,000. It's getting harder to find those ones, but they do still exist. And so what he was doing and his company that he was working with with his partner were buying properties and then renting them out. So you'd buy them all in cash and then make all of the rental as income. So I had this money I knew I wanted to invest and I didn't know which way I was going to do it. But do you want to hear what happened to show me which way to go? Of course. I know. It's like, do you want to, to keep listening to Flowing Up and find out the next thing? So, okay. All right. No, no schnazzy question there. Yeah. So what ended up happening after that lunch is I went to the juiceria. Now, why did I go to a juiceria after eating lunch? I'm not sure. Maybe I felt well, like I needed- you're a double bruncher. So- a double bruncher. We do know. I had a double brunch. This is maybe the first half, brunch and a half, because I did the brunch or the lunch, and then I went to this juice place to get a green juice. And I, I actually have a photo of this guy to this day. I snapped a casual, like sneaky photo of him, but there was a man standing in this little juice cafe, this teeny tiny in Barrio Alto. And it's, this man is like six foot six, and he's wearing a Detroit Pistons jersey and a Rip Hamilton Detroit Pistons jersey, which was my favorite player from when I was in high school and college and actually actively loving and watching. It was like their heyday of the Detroit uh, basketball team. It was so oh much fun. And I'm like, this guy is wearing basically now a vintage jersey. I don't even know who's on the team now. So if he had worn a more recent player, it would have not meant as much. But I'm staring at Rip Hamilton. Detroit Pistons, and he's so tall that my 5'4", staring at his back, like literally the, the jersey was in my face. Like I couldn't avoid it because he's so big and like it was <laughs> as tall as he was, like it was in my face. I couldn't avoid it. And I was like, well, if this is not a sign <laughs> that I'm supposed oh to, I mean, why is he in Lisbon wearing a Detroit? I've never to this day, I've never seen another jersey of sports jersey from an American team that I can think of in Lisbon ever. So that was very bizarre. And I took that as a sign that I was supposed to do the Detroit thing instead of the Lisbon thing. So I ended up buying two properties in Detroit and I continued my travels. So that was the time I thought I was done. And I had those two thoughts and I just let them go. Those two initial thoughts about Christmas and living there, I just let it go. I just surrendered to the Detroit Pistons jersey and the Detroit properties (laughs) and did that instead. And then at that point, I hadn't even hit Australia. So I don't even know so many other parts of the world at that early stage of my travels. But later I continued to go to Sydney and I fell in love with Sydney, not as immediately as I did with Lisbon. I've never had those two thoughts, you know, flash or anything like that. That was a very unique experience to have happened in Lisbon. But Sydney definitely just felt like home the more I stayed there. Yeah. What do you think of Sydney? Yeah, you came for C-School. Yeah. It's hard not to fall in love with it. Oh, my goodness. Um, this might make people feel a certain way, but I, it felt like 
America I, but someone, better? <laughs> Jeremiah, my friend, told me, Jess, you like American cities with funny accents because I like London and I like Lisbon. He loves things like Bali. And I actually now too love Bali. But the, at the time he said this, I was, I was less on the Bali train, but he was like, you really aren't doing travel like to Cambodia or you're not really going to the Himalayas. You're not going to these extreme, you know, or like to the Belize into the keys. You know, I'm going to like basically first world cities that speak English with an accent that I like better than American. Like, so yeah, I can see his point. And to your point, yes, personally, I feel like the quality of life, people ask me, why do you love Sydney so much if they haven't gone? And I'm like, (laughs) for me, the quality of life is the best in the world personally. Now there are drawbacks and I see those as well. So I am a Libra. I see the balance and everything. So as much as I love it, I also know the drawbacks and most people's opinions to not love it would be, and some people like Melbourne more than Sydney, you know, it's kind of Red Sox versus the Yankees here. But for me, I love Sydney. Um, And I'm not attached when I say that I love Australia and want to live there to living in Sydney when I'm like 55. Like I'm not attached to being in Sydney, the city proper. It's kind of like, I want to start in Sydney and I love it. And like, that's definitely my drawing place for me now. But like, if I had a family, I don't know that I'd be living in Sydney. I'd probably be living outside of it or somewhere else on a coastline. But I don't know that Sydney is like the place I would spend four decades of my life. It's just my starting place and my little base of Australia. But I just still think Australia in general has so many beautiful places. It's so safe. The quality of the food is so beautiful, first of all, and delicious. The quality of the ingredients that they grow in that area and what they import in is just infinitely better than what I find personally in America. No offense to America. Um, And just the active lifestyle, the health, the well-being, the focus. Um, They have their political things. They have their issues and um, coming to terms with what's happened with the Aboriginals. They have things in their culture that they do deal with, but the level of like karmic weight on the shoulders of Australians versus America as another, you know, place to compare, like, is night and day. So I just really, I just love the easy breezy, they call it cruisy there, the cruisiness of being able to be there. Now for Sydney, one of the things people don't love is the price of it, but an American dollar is worth about right now about 30% more than the Sydney dollar. So if yes, it was dollar to dollar to a US dollar, it would be very expensive. But Mm -hmm. as an American on an American dollar, that converts pretty well. But at the same time, they get paid an hourly wage that's much higher. So you might spend $28 on lunch in Australia, like which sounds quite high to go to a cafe and get a lunch for $28. When you do the US dollar conversion, that's going to bring it down to something closer to like $18, which might give you New York prices. So I would say kind of think of it as a similar price comparison to New York, but people in New York are maybe making a lower salaried wage or hourly wage where Sydney ciders or Australians are making a higher wage. So those higher dollar prices, I think kind of convert back to their, their wages support the dollars. They, but even that said, it's cheaper to be outside of Sydney or Melbourne into the regional areas. So anyways, all of this to say the other drawback I get from, and I meet like people that had, let's say they're British and they live back in 
London and they used to live for many years in Australia. A lot of times those kind of people that would choose to leave Australia feel that it doesn't have as much cultural diversity or um, opportunity to do things like like theater, like things like the cultural richness of a place like London is very hard to match, but you have to want those exact things to appreciate being in a city like that. But there are people that do leave for that type of thing. But if you want to surf and you want to go to beautiful beaches and you want incredible coffee and eggs that are so orange in their yolks, they're just like fluorescent in, in their richness and their juiciness. Australia. Hands down. Well, and the people are are really warm. And I got to meet some of the people that you met there. Like Ezzy, you guys got really close. Yes. Right? Yes. And back in 2018, I was with Ezzy in, where were we? We were at a conference called Summit Series. So we were in LA at Summit Series. And funny enough, Ezzy now lives in New York. So she was always the Aussie that wanted to live in America. And I was the American that wanted to live in Oz. But uh, Ezzy was in the conference, the summit series, and I was too. Now, 2018, this is December 2018. So I sold the house in May 2016. So we're we're on well into me living homelessly in the suitcase alone. And at that point, I just spent a handful of months in Australia, went to this conference, and I think I was supposed to go travel for another six weeks to other places and then maybe go back to Australia. Yeah, I think I was going to go back after six weeks. But instead, I was in the conference, totally overwhelmed, totally homesick. I just, at that point, after almost two years or a year and a half of traveling in the suitcase alone, I just wanted to go to Home Depot. I just wanted (laughs) to go to Target. I just wanted to have a normal life again. I was really, Mm. really missing. Like, it's beautiful to live in cafes. And I said this to Skylar. I was like, it is you know, enjoy the beaches and enjoy the vacation mode, but eventually you're going to realize this is your life and you're going to need more than just vacation mode to a degree to make that balance a bit more, you know, and that could be introspection. It doesn't have to be, you know, going to Home Depot or Bunnings is the Home Depot in in Australia. You don't have to do that kind of thing to make that your life at all. I don't go to a Bunnings or a Home Depot at all in Portugal here in Lisbon, you know, or I'm not in Lisbon at the moment when I go back, there's no Home Depot for me to go to. So I don't even, uh, that's speaking to the future of this. But anyways, I really wanted a bit of normalcy, a bit of like, just go to something that's not so fantastic. I just wanted to get out of the travel mode and feel like I was out of that. You spoke about that in the travel chapter, how after a while you need to have some type of almost routine, you know, kind of like you said. It's a delicate balance. It's a delicate balance, that routine, because the routine can be very limiting to your expansion. Mm. So you have to follow your intuition and anybody could do this in their, their hometowns or while they're traveling. Like as Abraham famously always says, like what you want is not always in the same place. So if you just kept doing the same routine all the time, you wouldn't find everything that you want because what you want isn't all in the same places. It's not like every person you ever want to meet is always going to go to the cafe that you go to every single day. So sometimes they're in another cafe and you just got to go to the other cafe. Or sometimes they're in another country, you got to go to that other country. So you just find the intuition truly in every day, even if you live in one place, will still give you variety. I know like uh, Nishi sent me a picture recently on WhatsApp of an outfit that her intuition had her put together, which is pieces she'd already had, but she never thought to put together. And all of a sudden it looked like such a cute set that she had technically, but she never knew she had. So it was the, that was a completely new experience within already had things. 
And I think people can have so many magical moments or go to places or go up a street they've never gone up. I know that IVFT people that'll take an intuitive walk and the way the inner voice will walk them takes them to totally different things. Or one woman's inner voice just recently said, have the dog walk her. So let the dog choose the walk that they go on. So I'm sure that'll bring new experiences her mind wouldn't have chosen, just even in a regular like single place that you, you know, you're in the same town and you're not traveling, that can still be new and novel if the intuition's running the show. So there's this like mind loves routine. It loves familiarity. It loves all of going back to what it's known before. Intuition loves novelty and surprise. So you get to navigate both and honor both. But in this moment in Summit Series, I'm sitting there with Ezzy actually at one point in like the second row with Tim Ferriss on the stage. Now, Tim's someone I deeply respect. I haven't followed his work in years, so I don't really know where he's at in his journey right now. But back then, I mean, I didn't ever try to do the four hour work week, but I kind of flowed my way into one. And I really appreciated his travels and his point of view, especially back when I was living in Ann Arbor. So to see him on stage and as a podcaster, obviously he's a really great podcaster. So I was really happy to see him. And I thought this could have been one of those peak moments, but instead I just wanted to be like in Sydney going to a cafe. I didn't want to be at this like peak experience conference. I was like, I know as he was doing like goat yoga that time, she's like having goats like run around on their shoulders and like help them do yoga poses and stuff. Like they're doing all these cool things at Summit Series. And I just would go back, I could go to one or two events and then just go back to my hotel room. And basically, I don't know if I actually cried, but I'd just basically be crying. Like I just wanted to be home, but I didn't have a home. And I remember Ezzy looking at me and saying, I think you should come back with me to Australia because she was heading back. And I was like, I can't do that. I've got this six week plan and then I'll go back. And like, but the six weeks I was just like, oh God, I was going to be suitcase living, like bopping around the country. I forget the reasons I was going to make up, but all of a sudden she said that. And I thought, no, I can't. And then I just kept being more and more sad and more and more unhappy. And eventually I just acquiesce. And I, I caved to my own, like she, she just saw it more clearly than I could see that I was just ready to come home. So I ended up getting a ticket very less, like after she said it days later, I bought a ticket to Australia and ended up arriving and landing in Australia before she did. So little did I know when she said that she was actually very intuitive to what was going to happen. So then I got back to Australia and decided, okay, well, I'm going to get a visa and I'm going to get a place to live and I'll live there while the visa works out. Now that is, so innocent minded of me, such an innocent little girl. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's probably a bit of an, um, my Americanness in me that I had not really ever thought about what it would ever take to live somewhere else. I just thought because my passport works so many places, visas will be easy too, right? Um, no, not for Australia, not at that time. But I did get a visa person through actually a listener, which I think is very interesting, um, recommended someone. And so I worked with them. I was like, well, that flowed. And then I went and found a flat as beautiful. A lot of people have seen it. The people on Instagram used to joke it was like the cruise ship because it was on the wharf in Willamaloo and it was right on the water. And that was one of my dreams was I had two desires in the past. One was to have an all marble bathroom because when I was very... I wouldn't call it poor, but like when I was making that like $25,000 a year in the jewelry days, I would go to this conference as an early blogger, jewelry designer in Salt Lake City. It was called Alt Summit. And I would say, yeah, Alt Summit. So when I would go to Alt Summit, there was the Grand America Hotel, I think it's called. 
the Grand mm-hmm. American or something, that hotel has these all marble bathrooms. And I loved marble, still love marble. But back then I was obsessed and I had never seen an all marble bathroom before. And so I was just like, take pictures of me in it. And then I was like, I want to have a house like this one day with marble in the bathroom, wall to wall. And that actually happened in this flat that happened to be the way that they renovated it. It was stunning. And it was a much more modern version of marble that I liked more than the place that I saw the Grand America when I was younger. And then the other thing was I always wanted to see sparkle water from my bedroom. When I was in New Zealand, I stayed with my friend Amanda. We were at a hotel and we could see the sparkle water from our bedroom outside. And it was such a beautiful, peaceful way to wake up that I knew I wanted to have that kind of experience sometime in my life. And I did. I had both of those in the flat in Sydney. Absolutely magical. Yes. And you saw that place. I started with a suitcase. I remember going there with the suitcase and then I bought everything from the koala mattress on up, all the possessions, sofas, everything. It was really fun to buy all that Australian furniture. Uh, Oh, the other thing about Australia, the best design in the world. In my personal Mm, opinion, mm -hmm. the best design in the world comes out of Australia. And a lot of that design aesthetic is carried elsewhere in London and in New York and other places, but it's just got this modern, they just don't, they don't go back to the past that much. That's something about Australia. They do obviously deal with their Aboriginal situation and like trying to find peace and understanding about how to move forward from that. But they don't, their design's not historical, most of it. Like they do have old buildings, but they just really, I find, they live in a more peaceful now moment than a lot of countries and cultures. Do you think because they, the history of kind of people landing from the UK over to Australia is because they were kind of the artists and the misfits, you know, that came over I don't think, I think... (laughs) They don't go back that, they don't think that far. Like they don't think about their past. I mean, it's just like, and I'm saying this, of course, Australians are like, I think about my past all the time. What are you talking about? But I'm just saying that like compared to other cultures, like, okay, Portugal, Portugal. I remember one time I was talking, you know, five years ago in my first time in Lisbon, I said, so are you guys good at soccer? Because I was watching the Euro Cup. This is actually the year they won the Euro Cup recently. And the guy I was talking to, David, <laughs> he was like, yes, we've been very good. And he he talks about, the, he was giving me the history of soccer. And so in America, you'd be like, are the Yankees good at baseball? You know, and then you'd be probably thinking, you know, or like say the Tigers, the Detroit Tigers, and they probably say something really like in the last like five to 10 years, like how have they been doing? He went back to the sixties or something like that in his head. Like the Portuguese are like often living still in the 1500s when they were like the superpower. Like they, they have a historical awareness of time and especially Portugal that is so old. And you're like, but this is nothing to do with the life that this person is living now. Like they talk about their bloodlines and where the family's from. And I'm just thinking, but but you're living here now. Like, what about you and your life that you're in? Like, there's like this historical lineage that's so, I find kind of heavy, especially in a place like Portugal for Portuguese. But they also historically just look at such a longer timeline because that's how long their country was and also kind of had a dynasty, you know, back then. And so yeah, him going back to like the 60s and 70s and talking about their superpower as a soccer culture, I'm just thinking whoa, like Americans would not go back to describe how their soccer team was in the Olympics in the 60s. They'd be like, how have they done in the last 12 years? Like we wouldn't go back that far. Australia doesn't go back that far. Like they don't, as a comparative 
you know, in London, there's so much historical stuff everywhere, monuments everywhere that you're kind of constantly always thinking about the past, but there's just less past in it's Australia's as old as America, but it just didn't have as it's got also the population roughly of Texas population of Texas in a size of a landmass, the size of America at the same age as America, such a different set of circumstances, so much easier to run a country so effectively because it's such a smaller population too. Like you can't ever try to make any other place Australia. Like it's a very unique set of factors, but they just don't go back to their past that much. They're just living in there now, like living a nice life. Now they do have political things. They do have other things that they talk about. There are some stuff, but it's just not nearly to the same. Entanglement is the word that's coming to mind as other countries with longer or more people and more dynamics playing out. And they certainly take their time on their visas. Their visas, yeah. So the visa, going back to that. So I had the guy that I hired and I never questioned it because it flowed so easily. And for about six months, or at least the first half of those six months, everything was good. But the landlord, as I was there longer, became more and more apparently uh, difficult, could be a word to say about him, um, as an understatement to most people's opinion of him that have worked with him. I don't know what the situation was. So I'm not going to even go into detail there, but there was like, let's just say stuff was going on with that landlord that made his life very difficult. And he took out that difficulty on others, including myself and others that were involved. And he was trying to sell the place while I was renting it. And so mm-hmm. he was constantly rotating between real estate companies because of his behavior. He couldn't keep anyone for very long. And so it was a very difficult thing. So that was beautiful until it wasn't. (laughs) And it was fun to be there until it wasn't. And then the same kind of turned out to be true with the visa guy. The visa agent was fine in the beginning. I had no reservations or concerns, but I had heard that there are visa agents that can be, I don't say crooks, but like can be not good. And I'd heard that, but I was like, yeah, but I'm always safe. You know, I just didn't think about it. Well, I, he took my money very easily and he was very communicative until that point. But after that, he progressively got worse and worse and worse. There became weeks where I wouldn't hear back from him. I had no idea what was going on, became very evasive. I tried all sorts of different (laughs) modes of like, trying to get him to behave in a normal way. It's like, I don't know again what was going on with his life, but again, I would suggest there were serious, serious things happening in his life. For him to behave the way he did, he actually ended up, I found out later, and I'm not surprised whatsoever, he got disbarred or taken out. Like he did other shady things with other people's visas in a different situation. Like again, not surprised at all based on how he did stuff with me. But either way, he didn't do the full visa application. He didn't fill it out properly, but I never saw the visa application. So when he finally did submit it, it got refused. And he didn't tell me until six hours before I was going to be unlawful. So the government gave me six weeks to leave the country. They said, this is refused. You haven't done all the paperwork, so you can't get the visa. And then they sent him an email with that six weeks before he told me. He told me the last day, six hours before, I was going to be unlawful for not leaving the country. And he sent me a message. And I was at the time in a a sauna, an infrared sauna. And I had these heat pads. It wasn't like a box where the whole room is hot. It was just like these heat pads on top of my body. So I was wrapped like a mummy in these infrared sauna heat pads. I'm probably like, who knows how hot I'm sweating, sweating, sweating. And I'm in this little spa room at a Friday afternoon at like 4 PM, 4 30 PM. And he sends me a text message while I'm there. And he says, don't be mad, but I just got an email from the government and you need to leave the country. 
by midnight tonight or you're going to be unlawful. And he lied. And he said that he got the email that oh day. He gosh. didn't get the email that day. He got it six weeks. The email was dated six weeks before. He had just lied. He like, he always had, like, he just lied. <laughs> and I was like, and I'm in the mummy, you know, I'm, I'm wrapped and sweating and I'm a million degrees. And I actually, it was a very interesting consciousness moment because I had never felt more scared, upset, frustrated, angry, nervous, worried. It was like every negative emotion all at once. And I could not believe, because obviously I had no intention of doing anything wrong to Australia or the visa or any of this stuff. And I hadn't heard from him and I tried every type of way of being angry, being nice. Like I could not figure out how to work with this person in an effective way. And then this is what I got. So I end up getting on the phone with him and like, screaming. I don't even like just yelling, crying. Like I just like was so upset because obviously this is not like I'm in Michigan and just need to take a bridge over to Canada. I'm in Australia. I've got to go from one of the most remote land masses in the world somewhere else within six hours, buy the ticket, get over to the airport. What I've got a whole, like all my stuff, like what is supposed to happen in this moment? So it was very interesting because as I had flowed and followed my intuition, I that week had finally given up on that visa guy and decided to get somebody different to take over my process. And so that person happened to be someone, I think I had reached out about that day. It's so wild that I didn't know mentally this had all been occurring at the same time. But when I went to ask for a code so that the other guy could take over the account, thinking I was in good standing, not realizing this had all been brewing behind the scenes, what ended up happening is I called that new visa person also and told him. And it was such a beautiful, thank the universe that is me unfolding. The other guy knew the first visa guy. And so there was kind of a rapport although he never got paid, the other visa guy promised he would pay for the time of second visa guy to fix the situation. And first visa guy never paid back second visa guy, which just is again to the the whole point of this person's integrity and how he does business. And like I said, something must deeply be wrong with that person's life, I think, but I don't know in what way. But the situation did, we put like a bridging visa and we re we withdrew and reapplied or something happened at the last hour. Literally they stayed up till midnight to get this done, but I didn't have the unlawfulness and I got to stay longer, but it was such a devastation of my ego. And while I was in that freaking out phone call, it was very interesting because my consciousness, I did not know that that's what that was at the time, but my pure consciousness was more present in the call than I'd ever had it up to that point. And so what happens is pure consciousness is not in this reality. (laughs) It's not uh, perceiving the way the human was. So it was present. I was perceiving into my pure consciousness while I was on the phone call. And what it did is it dulled my anger, but my humanness Mm. had never been more upset in my life. But the consciousness had never been more present especially while upset in my life. And I never perceived into it. So while I I was on the call, I thought, my mind thought, oh, I need to be angrier because he's not going to tell how angry I am. (laughs) Like I'm really angry, but I'm not sounding as angry as I am. And a part of it was because the pure consciousness aspect that I was also feeling into was like deleting anything that was coming through it. So any energy that was flowing through the pure consciousness was deleting all of the emotional charge of the human mind. 
And so my mind thought, oh, I need to amp it up more because it's going to sound like I'm not as upset as I am, but I am this upset. So the mind was upset at like level 10, but the consciousness was at zero. It was empty. It was like a void of nothingness. It was like a vacuum sucking up all the emotion (laughs) into nothingness. And so my mind had no idea until much later what happened. I finally figured out, oh my God, that was... That was an aspect of me that has nothing to do with Jess Lively. That's like the pure consciousness, the essence of what we all are that was present simultaneously. And the human had no idea what was going on. So just, um, I've also had that pure consciousness come in during sex, which was like incredible. And so it's funny to see like these like peak highs and lows in tandem with consciousness, even a peak high like sex, when I experienced it that way, it was again, a vacuum So even though the vacuum could take and vacuum out negative, it can also, it's not vacuum, but I'm trying to put words to something that's hard to describe. It's, it's, it's a, it's full of nothing. It's a fullness of nothing. What you feel is like mental, like sex high, that's great and wonderful, but like pure consciousness is void of even that. It's not anything. So even that type of emotion or experience is felt very differently. I could say very differently and actually in the same way. So the visa and the sex situations both felt the same in the sense of what the pure consciousness felt as because it's only one thing and it's all things and nothing all at the same time. And it's, it's nothing like any type of spectrum of emotion could be described as. So anyways, that all happened. But, yeah, what's your question? <laughs> now, wait a second. <laughs> so are you you're not making the connection of, oh, I need to tap into pure consciousness. No, I was like, what is this intruder getting in on my angry parade? (laughs) Like it's obviously whatever is happening right now is dulling my anger towards this human right now. And I need to amp it up. Like my mind tried to act out even more. Now this is like 2018. So this is like, Jess is not that aware yet. This is one of the first moments of pure consciousness that Jess, the character, was ever aware of experiencing. And she didn't know it was called pure consciousness. Because when you really experience this stuff, it's like a blind person seeing for the first time and finally seeing green. You know, they've heard descriptions of green their whole lives, but they don't know what green looks like until they can see. And when they see green for the first time, if someone's not pointing it with their finger and saying, green, (laughs) and then you go, oh, that's green. Like if you're just looking out of your eyes for the first time and you look at a flower and you see the stem, you don't say, oh, that's obviously green. Because you don't know until you, you see it now, but you don't know that that concept you've heard of as green is actually what the color of the stem is, unless someone said before, stems are green. So when you open your eyes and you see stems of flowers, that's the color green. If you had that concept, that might help you quickly, more readily figure it out, but you wouldn't figure it out. If you didn't get told the grass is green and you looked at grass, eventually you go, oh my God, that's green. That's what they were describing this whole time. That's what it looks like. Like there's that feeling, pure consciousness is like that. I'm describing it to you. When you feel it in yourself, you're going to feel it and you're going to go, oh, it's taken me all the really deep awarenesses. You'll notice even in the chapter two, when I said it took me months to realize why I couldn't figure out when it happened. It's because it didn't happen in time. This too was something that was like, why? All I could tell you after that happened, if you interviewed me the day after the visa situation, I would just say I was talking with him. I was really upset. And I could tell that my mind was 
upset that I wasn't sounding as angry as I really was. There was something, there was some reason I couldn't be as angry as I really felt because the mind attached completely to its own perception only was only able to see the situation from its point of view, but it didn't realize it's almost, okay, this is, again, this is me talking about green to someone that's never seen green. So when you have this experience, you'll experience it and it may not feel exactly this way to you. But if I had to describe it, often when pure consciousness enters like the sex or the visa situation, it feels like there's a twin there, but the twin is not another human, but there feels like there is another, I want to call it an entity, another, it's a facet, truly, it is another facet of you and it is in you. So it's like a Siamese twin, but the twin is completely alien to everything that the human mind identifies as. But it's like, it's an equal presence, but it's not the same. So this is like tangent. When I was giving birth, I was totally calm, but my head was like, you should be freaking out more, but I just wasn't. Yeah, Yeah, that's a feeling I could say. I can't tell if you actually have your consciousness present. I don't know, but I can say that, yes, the mind story had, you should be freaking out more. And it was so attached to its story. But with my situation, it was so attached to its story. It was like, I am freaking out right now. It's not like my mind wasn't on level 12 anger. You know what I mean? Like your situation, you might've been calmer than you expected to be, my mind was on level 12, but I was very annoyed that whatever was present with me at the time was dulling my 12-ness at this person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I don't know if your mind was actually, and it doesn't matter. Like you could still pre, you could still have your pure consciousness present and not be at level 12 in your mind, but definitely the mind definitely felt very validated in its story and its opinion was only concerned that its emotions were not being completely portrayed accurately <laughs> because something was, was making it seem calmer than it was. That's how I'd say. Something was making it feel calmer than it was. And it didn't like that. So it had to act out on top of this deep sense of pure peace that it didn't have any connection to. So it didn't know that. By the time the sex rolled around, I more quickly realized that's the same presence that was there from the visa situation. And then eventually that pure presence realized that's what it is. That's what I am. So those two moments didn't give me realization. But later that pure consciousness realized that's what it is in itself. And that's what happened in that nonlinear point that I shared in chapter two. But pure consciousness started poking through the veil, so to speak. Like the human started to have awareness that pure consciousness was present at these peak experiences. But that said, it's not a... And I had a day of it where it, I shifted out of the mind for a day. That was an amazing day. I thought I, did I share about that? Where I thought there was like an earthquake and then I died. Have I talked about no, that in this? You, I no, didn't tell you about, that, about that No. <laughs> have I never told you this story? No. Oh gosh. This is a, I was in Sydney in a cafe. Uh, it was, um, I don't remember exactly which year, but I was doing inner voice writing. And for the first time ever, I listened for open-endedly for word after word after word. I didn't ask any mental questions. I just listened for about 10 to 20 minutes. I don't even know how long, but I did it for a while, longer than I ever had before. I just listened instead of asked questions in the mind. And when I got done with the experience, I wrote out like one or two pages of whatever the inner voice wanted to say. And then the mind didn't start back up. And I thought, like I died. Like I thought there was an earthquake. Like I thought there was a, like a, a cataclysmic schism. I, I like, I braced the table 
like there was an earthquake. Like I just like, I was like, <gasps> and then I held the table and it kind of shook, you know, as you like do when you grasp something really startledly. And then I looked around and everybody was still walking, like stuff was still on the tables. So I was like, okay, there's no earthquake. And that was, this is not a thought, right? Cause there's no thoughts. Basically what happened was no thoughts. It got turned off. The mind got turned off for that day. And the mind, there was an aspect of me that was like, what happened? But it wasn't a thought of what happened. It was just like, it just thought something, there was only impulses. There was no like thought formings happening, but basically I was in pure consciousness. And then I went to the bathroom and then I was like, just listen to the air conditioning vent because there was no thoughts. I was like, literally what Eckhart is always talking about getting into the deep eye. I was just living the deep eye for that day. I basically did exactly what he gets everybody to try to meditate into. I was just living from that place. Like he probably is living from all the time. And I was just living that way that day. And I had not, I just like fell into it. I had no way of, you know, anticipating that, expecting it. It was a fascinating day because that day I remembered my mind had planned to buy nail polish and Airbnbs. It was really loving the beautiful Airbnbs that I was staying in. And I remember realizing in that state of awareness, that pure, pure state of awareness without the mind running, I was like, it doesn't matter what color my nails are or where I stay in like I could stay in a hostel, like on a bunk bed, like if without any thoughts, if you really delete the whole character, like nothing matters because there's nothing to care when nothing is crossing the mind. I love the character of Jess that the world was ending <laughs> when she was just doing exactly the thing that people are striving to do. Yeah. In well, the, if you got turned that. off, you Megan, if your Megan got turned off and your your all your apps on your iPhone that you are got deleted, oh, it's yeah. a pretty stunning ex- it, literally it's a stunning experience. You're stunned. You're just like what? Like it's like the air conditioner that's been on your entire life or the radio station got turned off and it doesn't just kick back on. But it was beautiful. I was very peaceful that day. <laughs> Obviously, um, it felt really nice. I did actually still interact with people very, I, honestly, I had like an Eckhart day. We could call it an Eckhart day because I did go for a walk in the botanical garden. I ended up, some people started talking with me and they were like, I think we were tossing around a football or some kind of ball in the park and they were chatting with me. And I was so wise <laughs> answering their questions because I wasn't answering for the mind. This is living from this other place inside myself. So I was still functional in the reality, but the mind egoic personality wasn't running. Did you slowly come back into the mind or did you go to sleep and wake up back? Like, how I did think that- I probably, I don't remember the details well enough. So I'm going to guess filling in the blanks that I don't remember that I kind of woke back up as just, I would guess, or maybe it was still a bit of a glow the next day, but it definitely didn't last. <laughs> but I loved having that experience. I've had other ones too in different experiences where there's like the cosmic consciousness moments where like I had a moment during a Reiki session once that I felt, I guess I allowed the perception for an instant that I felt the connectedness to everything. I realized that I felt into the substrata of this reality and I could see that all of this is solid or all of this is empty, whichever way you look at it. But it was so trippy that days later, knowing that perception shift had happened, I had a hard time opening my eyes at the, I was standing outside on the street and I remember like having a hard time opening the eyes, kind of like when you are in water and 
some people, I don't like opening my eyes in water because you know there's water there. And you're like, and the minds are like, I don't want to get water in my eyes. Or I don't know that feeling. I felt that way about the air. I was like, there's the air is solid. Like, I don't want to get the air in my eyes. All of a sudden, instead of perceiving this reality, like it's emptiness, like the air is empty. I knew it was all solidly full and it's just as connected as the chair that I'm looking at. So like I'm sitting on a bed and I see a chair across the room and I see the air between the chair and me, but I now perceive, I know this even deeper now, but in that Reiki moment, I felt instant connection to everything, like a planet, as far as this chair, as far as the air, as far as my body, like there was no body anymore. It was just, I felt into the substrata. I remember saying this to the collective once on a something. And they said, yeah, you had a, like a, I think they didn't use the word cosmic consciousness, but you had like a very primal memory, like remember of what the connectedness to everything is. Um, I can still substance to separation. And now I can go into my body and go through the body and slowly feel into the connectedness to everything, but it's not as direct in that way to like, I literally just felt the baseline of everything that I don't, when I go into the body, you get into a place that's very similar, but it just is a different, subtly a different experience than the one that I had in the Reiki. But that was great. It just showed me that's true. You know, it didn't need to keep staying that way. I don't think I could move or function if I was staying in that way. Cause I'd be like, I didn't, I wasn't feeling the body. I was feeling everything, which then the body doesn't have individuation in. So it's helpful to feel the separation at times <laughs> so you can move around. Can we please subtitle this chapter, Sex, Feces, and Pure Consciousness? <laughs> Do we think we should change the title, even though the intro started as all the times I thought I was done, and then people can say, oh, well, that's where it got changed. <laughs> right there. <laughs> right there. Well, let's put a pin in that, and we could, we could change it. That's more sexy as a title than all the times I thought I was done. Okay, should we move on? So basically, I will say with Sydney, as far as the times I thought I was done, that the visa situation, we settled it out. We, we kind of leveled out. We got the other visa guy, but the other visa guy, I will say the reason I let go of Sydney at the time after that, all that whole thing, the landlord was difficult. The, the first visa guy was so difficult, right? Everything flowed well enough to get me there, to give me a place. I was there for about six months during that whole thing. And then I left after C school and I surrendered. I was reading the power of now in Ann Arbor, after that experience. And I was also at the time talking to the visa guy in Sydney. And the guy that fixed all of the hassle of the other guy was awesome, but $400 an hour. And there was no fixed fees. So this was like a $400 an hour guy I was going to work with. And I had no visa track in mind because the visa that I was working on with the first visa guy was a sponsorship visa. And they changed the rules of sponsorship visas so that I couldn't do that type of visa or apply for it later on. So I no longer had that avenue track. And so we didn't have a straight track for my type of career in Australia. That's the thing about the visa stuff in Australia is the reason I haven't been there is because my type of, I mean, a partner visa would be the easiest one, but I have not, I have dated many Aussies, but none of them have been the one so far. So I haven't done it that way the track for careers, I could be an electrician. I could be a hairdresser. I could be a dog walker, Megan, and I could get a visa to Australia. And not to say that I shouldn't start my dog walking career right now, just so I can get to Australia, but I don't really want to have to do ends of the earth efforts to prove a different career than the one I really have. There's entrepreneur visas, but I have to make 
over a million Aussie dollars to live in Sydney in revenue in the two of the last four years. And I need to have $1.3 million in assets, which wow. in Aussie dollars, which I don't have yet $1.3 million in assets. Now, if I hadn't been traveling as beautifully as I have been traveling. <laughs> I probably could have actually gotten that money together, but I have never been looking in a scarcity mindset. Like I need to have that specific cash on hand for any reason. I see the abundance as a flowing river. So I've always had infinite abundance because I never need an ocean of abundance for the now moment. I just need the abundance I need for now. And there's more and more and more. So there's always more. So I don't ever, that's why I feel unlimitedly abundant is because I don't ever need a certain number in the bank to feel abundant. I know that the abundance flows through me and to me and through me. And also I love flowing the money on to others because I love sharing it with others as well. I love buying from artists. I love you know, staying in beautiful places. I love going to restaurants. There's so many people that my abundance then creates abundance for. It's all to me very much a stream of a consciousness and a stream of abundance. But now that I have this possible potential for that type of visa, it's now in the field, right? Now the mind has put awareness to that. So the consciousness could create that in the dream if that's the path of least resistance for me to have a visa if I meant to. But at the time, I didn't see a way and I did not know how much money I was going to spend finding out whether there was a way or not. So I just surrendered the whole situation. Because the landlord also was so difficult at the end, I was just like, all right, obviously the signs are, this is all upstream to stay here. Let me just keep going. So I did. I love it. And where did you hop to? Then I went to Chicago (laughs) and I met a guy that I think I might've shared either to you or in a previous episode here that, um, I met him in Ann Arbor because I surrendered and flowed. And then he invited me to Chicago and then he told me to go to Detroit instead of flying out of Chicago. Got it. So that's where, yeah, Yeah. we talked about that in dating. Dating. Okay. So that situation brought me back to Detroit for two days and I was on the way to London to get a visa. So when I gave up Sydney, I thought I'll get one in London instead, second best. And I had really given up Lisbon, by the way, if you're wondering, like I used to visit every year and I did go to Lisbon right after the landlord Sydney visa situation. And it was still nice to be there. Oh, and that was the year I saw everything changed. Lisbon dramatically evolved between 2017 and 2018. I almost didn't recognize the city. Like the buildings are still old, but the amount of new companies, I think there was like, they got a lot of world recognition in 2018 as a travel destination. And so like Instagram was just blowing up Lisbon. And so everybody was coming there. There was loads of expats starting new cafes. And they also, I think their tech summit over many years has also been really bringing a lot of attention to Lisbon and Portugal as a whole. So it was just growing and growing in popularity. And there was just this huge explosion of new opportunities and things to do in Lisbon. Such a difference between 2016 when I first got there and 2018. I almost didn't recognize it. I liked it all. I was like, yeah, even though it changed so much at first, I was like skeptical. I was like, do I like this? Like, it's not as Portuguese as it used to be in that sense. But then I actually realized, well, I'm not Portuguese either. So I can appreciate the expat like flavors getting woven in. Of course, there's like different perceptions of that change. But for me, I think it's definitely been great. And also the city itself was getting pretty run down years ago, used to be really unsafe. So it's nice that they're 
you know, the city is a beautiful city and it deserves to have things inside of its walls. Like there still are abandoned derelict buildings and ruins inside the city. You know, there's still a lot of growth to renovate in pockets of it for sure. So anyways, there's a huge change, but I kind of at that point just shifted on to London from Lisbon as the next place. So I was going over to Detroit to fly over to London. And as we shared, I got this, the property in Detroit. And I told myself, I will only get this place. Having had the visa in the Sydney landlord just like months before, I made a very big order to the universe. I was like, look, I'm only getting this Detroit <laughs> place. If you roll this out on a red carpet with a silver platter and a crystal chandelier and everything has to be literally white glove service, or I'm not going to do this because I don't need to do this if it's going to be hard. You just came from the hot sauna. We're kicking you out of the country. Everything exploded in my face, right? Like Yes. I was like, I'm not doing that again. I, I am not going down anything difficult whatsoever. So I am not attached to Detroit whatsoever. So if you don't treat me great, Detroit, I'm out. Like I'm only into this if it's 100% in service to me. And if it's not, no. And I actually love that. I always reference the Clotilde podcast episode I aired. Her inner voice said for her in Paris, when she got this place that she'd owned for about a year and a half, she felt mentally really rushed to make it happen. And then even a year and a half into owning it, it said that she was still having difficulties with the property because the feeling she had when she went into it was rushed. And so that's the feeling that it now has. And so they said, if we were her, we would have taken our time and been patient and waited. I didn't have that episode or that insight until after all of these situations in my own life. But basically I lived that same feeling of like, Sydney, think about it. And I will say this very clearly. I knew when I did Sydney, when I was in Summit, I, the mind had had enough. I couldn't Mm -hmm. mentally, the character of Jess had done as much as she could to flow as unknowingly as she could. And my God, did she do a year and a half? You know, did she do a year longer than she ever thought she'd do? Did she grow more than she ever thought she could? Did she follow her inner voice blindly more than she ever thought she could? She did such a good job. She really did, but she really hadn't grown enough it's like a yoga pose. You can only stretch as far as you can stretch at that time. There's never something wrong with your body not stretching further, right? But I hit my limit of where I could stretch and I was pulling a muscle, (laughs) my humanness. (laughs) And my soul loves the human. It didn't make the visa guy hard and it didn't make the property hard in the beginning. They flowed really beautifully in the beginning. So there was no miss choice in those two things. But I can tell you the decision to go to Sydney was not my inner voice. It was my humanness wanting relief. It wanted to to find that stability that it didn't have for so long. It's kind of like it felt seasick and it just wanted to get on land. It's like, okay, the ship is going somewhere, but I am just going to vomit. I'm just so sick of being seasick. I just need to be on shore for a little while and we can keep going, but just pull over on this island. I need a six months on an island. And I didn't think we would keep going because it floats so well to get the other things. But when I look back on it and even immediately, I knew like it flowed and it gave me a place to stop to rest, but it wasn't over. So it didn't let me stay for very long. And it shook me out of there when it was time to leave. So even though it wasn't your inner voice at the time, 
did you think it was or you no. you knew but you just wanted to be? I knew I needed I was too sad to keep going. Mm. Like I know how you Megan, Megan, I want to use you as like a lot of people listening like oh my gosh, what a romantic amazing life, right? But like <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, I didn't ever want that. I don't think people, when they see me now, understand when I say, I really didn't want that mentally. Mm -hmm. Am I glad I did it? Yes. Am I glad I've done all of this? Yes. But did I ever want that? No. I got what I didn't want or didn't know that I wanted, you know? Like, I didn't want it. I think it's kind of like you didn't know you wanted a child. Yeah. Yeah, it's very the same for you. I always mm-hmm. did want that. So imagine never getting that, but getting the complete opposite of it. So so your your mind was definitely done. Oh, so done. Okay, yeah, now that you can present. Yeah, putting yourself in the shoes, right? Now you could go, yeah, she was definitely done. If that's she how she felt, she was definitely done. <laughs> definitely done then. But Detroit ended up a few months later um, falling in my lap. It all worked out perfectly. It was on the way, to, as we've shared. I was on the way to London. Then Detroit John sent me the property listing. I ended up being able to see it. What's amazing is the amount of synchronicities on this property. And I can say in direct contrast, I didn't mentally choose Detroit. My inner voice chose Detroit. I said, I'll take these steps because it's all flowing perfectly. But if it ever stops flowing perfectly, I'm not going to do it. I didn't ask my inner voice, do I need to get it with a word? I didn't need to do that. I can feel through intuitively the flow of things. So I just took the steps and I just was ready to pull out at any moment. It didn't work out but it worked out in every single moment. Even when I saw the property, there's a boutique next door to the property that's called Flow, Flow Boutique. And I was like, oh my gosh. And the line numbers, the address has 444 in the address. Like it was 444, there's Flow and next door, literally. The, when I had to find a mortgage person, the real estate agent sent me four numbers of agents to call. I picked the one that had 444 in the phone number, of course. And of course. that- person, when I called them, their bank was based in Saginaw, Michigan. So I didn't think that they were anywhere close to Detroit, but the person, when I called him, he's like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I work for chemical bank. And they, (laughs) he's like, yeah. He goes, I think I saw you walk into the building. I just moved into 444. And I think I saw you because I'm living there now too. And I think I saw you walk in with the real estate agent. And I was like, yes, that was me. What? My mortgage banker, this bank is like two hours away from where I'm living, lives in my building. He became one of my dear friends. He now owns my bedroom rug and is like a close, close friend of mine in Detroit and became like one of my fast friends and also helped me find the real estate agent that I ended up using to sell my property later on, years later. I met in a pottery class, a woman that became a friend of mine after Detroit, John and I broke up. So after we broke up, I did a pottery class in Detroit and ended up making a friend who then became the helper that actually got my mail all of the time while I was away. And she also helped me when I was selling the house. She was the one that actually like packed up all my stuff with the movers and made sure it was all taken care of. The other thing when I was buying the property... At the moment that I bought the property, I bought it, of course, putting 4-4 as the second two numbers in the property price offering. And I was like, they have to accept this offer. It has to be aligned numbers. And they, <laughs> if they negotiate, I'm not doing it. Like, this is the number it's going to be or not. And the day that I put in that number, that company had made the, that revenue was the same price as the sale of the house. So the offer I was putting on the house equaled the revenue for that day of the year of our company. 
<laughs> so it was like blank four four. And I was like, that's what I'm going to pay. And that's also what I'd earned to that day, that year in the company. And then even oh when gosh. I was like traveling to go see Sydney John in Australia, I knew that the property would take care of itself. And when I wasn't there and I knew I wasn't coming back anytime soon, the person that used to work for our company had told a friend that was working between Chicago and Detroit about it and ended up renting it from me. And so then I was making an obscenely high number of rental income because it was an executive rental with a company that had a large budget. So I was making $1,500 a month off the top of the mortgage every month on it. So then it became the storage unit for my Sydney furniture and a place to have my mail delivered to. It also, I kind of knew that if Armageddon hit, I could go back to it. So it did give me that sense of home while I still traveled. And I think that actually was a really beautiful kind of middle ground for my mind and the humanness. Knowing I had a home, I technically could go home to if I wanted to, I think was a security blanket that felt a lot nicer than just, I'm in a suitcase and I have no address and I have no possessions like I did the first year and a half. I think having the place and knowing that the renter was in it for the long haul, but also like it was technically still mine, that was good. And it also gave a place for my assets to be held in terms of the down payment and everything like that. So by the time it actually ended up coming to sell it in 2021, it also flowed to sell it beautifully. I asked the girl that was renting it if she wanted to keep renting it. I was actually really looking to get the cash out of it. So at that point, I knew I wanted to go to Lisbon, which we're going to get to in a second. But even that point, she said, nope, I'm actually looking to buy a house here in Detroit. I loved it so much. But she wants a house, not a property, like a condo. So yeah, I said, okay, can we put it on the market? We did. The real estate agent got an offer and they said, yep, we'll buy it. They bought it for blank eight, eight, which was the difference. So the four, four to eight, eight in the two years that I owned it was the real estate agent's fees and seller fees. So I got out what I put in. So I didn't really lose any money and it wasn't accruing like rental income for me, but only having owned it for such a short while itself, it wasn't really like the property itself made me loads and loads of money, but it was still nice to be able to not lose any money on it. I still made the rental income on it and I still had my stuff stored in it. So it still had many, many positives to the whole thing. And the person that bought it said, yeah, we'll buy it two weeks after she moves out. So I had two weeks for my friend, the pottery friend to get everything sorted out and the movers to come. The movers came the day before they signed on it and then it was all done. It literally rolled out like a beautiful flow and it rolled into it and rolled out of it perfectly. But that was really the energy I set for it. I was never attached to making it happen. It was only going to be in my life if it was going to serve me to the utmost. And it really did. It really did. So has the bar been set moving forward? Are you, that's, I mean, because that's perfection. Yeah, pretty much. Like, why would you go back? Like once you have that I think you have to recognize everything's going to flow in a unique way, but the energy alignment doesn't have to dip. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? So you can let situations, like you're never going to dance the same dance at the cotillion. I don't know why I'm pulling out a cotillion. (laughs) Never going to do like, you're not going to do the waltz twice, but you're going to do the merengue. (laughs) And so that dance can also be beautiful, but consciousness doesn't repeat itself identically in a sense of like, it loves novelty, new and surprise. But if you have historical patterns of pain, you can recreate very similar similar patterns of pain identically or alignment, but the, the, the situations will always be unique to a new now moment. So even those pain patterns that repeat are typically in like 
they're always new now moments, but they can have similar elements. So yeah, the vibrational frequency, I want to stay the same. So then basically I leave after 2020. Now we're skipping, skipping ahead. I did four months in Hawaii during 2020. The property's all, like we said, being rented in Detroit. By the end of 2020, I go to London again to see about a visa. I'm like, all right, I'll go get a London visa again. Cause I just still didn't feel like being in America as my place. I think it's fun to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. Now I have a question. Watch, I'll end up living in America now that I say that, but who knows? (laughs) That's how each chapter wraps up. And no, your mind, my mind is blown. You're done. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, you were talking about getting another property in Detroit, right? Oh my gosh. What happened with that? Oh, that was a fascinating unfolding and such a good consciousness lesson too for me. So there was a period in the middle where I thought, I think this is probably around Detroit John days. So like I'm moving to Detroit. I think I'm going to live there forever and have a family with Detroit John and my life's settled. I'm done. (laughs) I'm done. I'm done. done. (laughs) And I thought I was going to get, even after that point when Detroit John didn't work out, I thought I would get another property in Detroit for the Australian furniture. Because one of the elements that was so specifically unique was that the Detroit kitchen was stunning, but the wood, it was white cabinets, very Scandinavian. But instead of the Scandinavian stain, that's like very bare timber, like in Australia, all that timber is basically bare as well. That tone was very deep, like a rich walnut stain with the white. So it was, and it worked well for the space, but it didn't match any of the natural timber that I had from Australia. So I bought different furniture for Detroit. I was like, what am I going to do with all this Australian furniture? Cause I love it. And I'd always had this dream to have Airbnbs around the world. That's like a thought that my mind had. So then I was like, well, I'll buy a place in Detroit and put all my Sydney furniture in it and Airbnb it out. So that was a thought that I'd have. And then later when I rented the other place, I thought this could be a little nest that I'd one day just use as my base instead of the bigger one. Maybe I'd sell the bigger one or rent the bigger one or something, but then this other one would be the little one that I would keep. So I found a place that flowed really perfectly. Actually, I remember the day that I was looking at two properties. I was walking past Watson, the street Watson, where Gray goes. For those that are in Detroit, they would know this. So there was a property I was going to see up near the Whole Foods, a little further away from the downtown of Detroit. And then there was a property near the Grey Ghost on Watson Street. And I was walking towards the one near the Whole Foods, which my mind had seen pictures of and really liked the look of online. So I was very mentally attached to that one. But as I crossed Watson to go up to the other place, my inner voice was like, Watson, 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 Watson. I really wanted Watson as I was walking past it. And I said, nope, we're going to the other one because my mind had seen the other one and liked the other one. And when I got to the property and saw it for the first time, I could tell it just wasn't the right space my inner voice was right. And so the minute I got there, I was like, okay, nope, it's not it. All right, let's go to Watson. (laughs) Let's go. But the mind needed to see what it didn't know that it didn't want. And and then when I saw it, then I was like, okay, all right, I'm ready. I'm good. Let's go. Let's go to Watson. So we walked down to Watson and then it was perfect. And actually they were still building Watson. So I got to make finishes and changes to the property to literally match the furniture that was coming in from the Sydney stuff. And so I went and was excited about that extra property. I had more money again that I wanted to invest. So I was like, all right, this is great. I'm going to do this. And at some point I'm going there and they're supposed to be done. So I go there and I get there and I look at the floors and they scratched up the floors very 
This is a brand new build, but the floors are already damaged from the way that they installed things. They just scratched up the floors massively. This place is so minimalistic. Like all you basically see is the floor. Like I'm not really buying anything more than like basically a tissue box and the floor. So I was like, this is like important to me. And this is a brand new build. There should be no scratches or marks, let alone all of the copious scratches and marks that were all over. And so the guys kept trying to fix it and make it better. But each of these fixes was just kind of covering up bad, you know? So it just kind of kept looking more and more. It's like layering on more makeup and more makeup, trying to make the makeup underneath look better. But more makeup doesn't always make more makeup look better. It just gets a bit yucky looking. And so it was. And so I finally was like, look guys, after a month of living in the Shinola and like just hanging around Detroit, spending a lot of money on hotels, I was like, I just, you guys got to replace the whole floor. Like this is just not, they did the order of things wrong in this property, as far as like how they managed the build, it was just poorly done, to be honest. And so that's really why, like normally they would have installed the floors after all of these other major things, but because they couldn't get the contractors in the order that they wanted, they just out of time efficiency did it reverse, but then they got all banged up. So I was like, look, you've tried and tried. It's still looking bad. I still don't want it in this condition. You've just got to replace the floor and do it the right way. Like I've given you every opportunity to try to fix it in another way, but this is just not working. So they finally said yes to doing that. And I was like, look, I will go away to London. I will go have a good time. I will wait a few weeks and come back when this is all actually properly done, but I don't want to close on it before then. And also, by the way, this property was very expensive. It's a new build, but like price per square foot for Detroit, it was one of the highest in the entire city. So if I'm literally literally price per square foot, (laughs) like each foot of that floor, I was like, I just know that I'm not... I'm not questioning the value of it, but I do want the value of it. And I don't want to have a substandard version of it because it's not going to hold its value. Some people question whether it's going to hold its value in the first place, but I want it to be in its great condition to start. And so I was like, I'll go to London and I'll come back and I'll, I'll deal with it, you know, and we'll, I'll move it in a month instead of now. And they say yes. And they agree to this. And then I buy the ticket. I'm so relieved because I've just been waiting and waiting and waiting and bouncing around hotel rooms and stuff, just waiting for this to get done. So I am so excited to move on and go have some fun adventures and come back. And the day that I am planning to leave, like I get everything out of the property because I'd even thought I was going to move in because I thought we were going to finish this out sooner. So some of my, like a few of my possessions were already in the property, just like casually just there because I thought I was going to move in. And I thought this was all going to get complete. Like they said, I moved everything out to go to London and then they literally changed their minds. They're like, sorry, we're only going to deduct $5,000 off the price or we'll sell it to someone else after all of this. Mm. And I was like, are you kidding me? You've already agreed to changing this. Like you're now just negating the agreement we've just made and just change your tune because you don't want to take the cost, the hit that you have to do because you've made all these other poor decisions before this. And I've spent thousands of dollars on hotels in the meantime. I could not believe the management. It was an interesting situation too, because there was like three people that were involved and they never worked together before. And one of them was really nice and wonderful and lived in a building nearby. And then two other ones were very money focused. And so the third person didn't get consulted by the other two that made this decision and just made it unilaterally. And so when it happened, I was so upset, so distraught because I was literally flying out the next morning at like 5 a.m. to go to London thinking I'm coming back to get this property and this is going to be my new home or at least rental slash home. And it's now, I think they just thought that they would be able to 
make me follow what they want. And they're like, screw you. Yeah, yeah, we're just not going to, this girl will take it. She's been sitting around here for on a bent, pins and needles waiting for us to get this done. She'll just have to deal with it. I think they really thought that. That's I think oh, what yeah. they thought for sure. And so I ended up calling my mentor, who's kind of like my grandmother slash wise person. And she is one of the f- very few people I can call. Jacob Lieberman's one and she's one and a few others I have that are mentors that can really hold me to a place that helps me stay high and not dip down. Anyone else I could have called would have been like in the weeds with me. But yeah. my mentor was like, you can do this. I don't know what she said. She said something at some point in my like freak out. Cause I called her like an hour after this happened. And she's like, she just held me. I, I don't know how else to say it. Then like she supported me if I was in gymnastics, like doing the back bend, she held my back and she's like, you can do it. Let go. You can do it. And I did. And in that moment, it was such an amazing experience to watch me after a year and a half of working on this property and thinking this is going to be the plan of action to let it go in an hour, to let it go into release into, okay, all right. I was meeting my friend, the pottery one I mentioned, we were going to have dinner downtown. I had the call with my mentor. She said, you can do this. She helped me. I did the backbend. I let it go. I was like, all right, maybe this is a sign I'm supposed to let go of all of Detroit. Maybe Detroit's not this like basal place that I've been thinking it's going to be for me. Maybe I'm just going to be more international like I thought I was in the beginning. I'm going to let it go. And I went down and it was a huge release. It was like popping a balloon, like all that tension just gone. Like, okay, if they're going to do that, they're not going to honor what we had agreed on. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not going to do it. And so that night I went and told Jess, I was like, all right, I guess it's done. I guess I'm just going to be done with Detroit. Of course, she was a bit sad because she lives in Detroit and wanted her friend to stay around. But I just let it go full on, like dropped, dropped it. You say, let it go and surrender. I did. I was like, all right, this is a sign. I'm not going to do it. It's too hard. This is not worth it. And I'm definitely not going to take this at less than what we've already agreed upon. And after all the patience I've had with the whole thing altogether, no, this isn't flowing. So I let it go. And then actually, as I was on the plane boarding, putting our seatbelts on the next morning, I got a message from my real estate agent shocked. She goes, I don't know what happened overnight, but they've changed their minds. They're willing to replace the floors after all. And you can still have it if they're going to do everything they said. And I was like, no, they thought they were going to be able to finagle me and manipulate me and just get me off with $5,000. And now that they've seen that they can't, they're actually now going to actually do what they had already agreed to do in the first place. No, this isn't not how this works. Like, it's kind of like a guy that really messes things up and is like, oh, I'm sorry. They break up with you and they're like, I shouldn't have broken up with you. (laughs) It's like, well, wait. Boy, bye. Yeah. What does that mean? (laughs) What is boy, bye? Boy, bye. Well, that's just like. Oh, goodbye. I thought you meant buying houses. I'm like, you're buying the boy? No. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, buy the boy. No. Goodbye, boy. Yeah, that was what I said. I was like, nope, this is is for me. And it was so funny because when I got to London, the place I was in had beautiful floors and beautiful finishes. And it was kind of like the place that I was going to be living in, but I didn't have to do any of the hassle and the floors weren't scratched. And I was like, there we go. My floor was just in London. It wasn't in Detroit. <laughs> and I just like, let it go. No. And that was, that was that property. But that gift of seeing that I can let something go so unilaterally, so quickly, in such an abrupt moment, that was like next level releasing for me. Because that was months of time. That was thousands of dollars. That was 
I'd already paid like part of the deposit was already put in. So then I had to get the money out of these people's hands, which was again, not easy, but it was at least worth it not to get stuck in. And then actually if it had worked out, I would have probably spent lockdown in COVID for four and a half months or who knows how long in Detroit in that property. Probably. I probably would have been there in total kind of isolation and in the cold weather in the winter. Like, would I rather be in Dory's guest house in Hawaii or in that place? No, I would have rather been in Hawaii for sure. So it's always in my favor. That's the thing that if I can tell people, like when you learn how to flow up, you know, when you learn how to flow, what flow is for you downriver is always higher than your mind what might've imagined. So I could have got a visa for London, but it would have actually even, I still can tell because I actually went on again after Hawaii. I went to London again to get a visa more recently and it didn't flow to stay in London. And actually, oh, okay. Let me see if I can explain this. I've never really verbalized this, but I've observed this in my five years of travels trying to be done. Now, Sydney is an aside. So Sydney, I do love, and I feel very much at home and very relaxed there. But even at the times when I've left Sydney, like last year in August, or the time with the visa and the landlord situation, I had a knowing that I didn't want to stay for the next six months. I always wanted to come back. But even when I did leave the the city at those times, there was a knowing that I didn't want to be there in that next period of time. But in Detroit, as I went back more and more, I could see that without a family, not that I couldn't have met someone and then had a family, I guess, one day, but little safari situation in Detroit, John didn't work out. And those were kind of the bigger opportunities that I had found when I was there dating. Since it didn't work out, I was like, the city itself is beautiful and I love visiting Detroit, but without a family there and none of my extended family lives in Michigan anymore at all. My family, my parents are in Florida. My brother lives in San Francisco and the others in Chicago. So there's nobody and the rest of my extended family all live in Ohio. So there's nobody in Michigan except for me at that time. There's nothing besides my friends in Detroit to go see. But my favorite thing became coming into Detroit, going to the restaurants and then leaving. So going in, seeing my friends, eating at spots I like, and then leaving. So I actually love visiting Detroit, I realized, not living there without a family of my own. And then when it came to London, I went this recently to there after Hawaii. I was like, I'll get a visa for London. And then as I was there for those five weeks in August, I had three days of 100 degrees Fahrenheit and the whole city was losing their minds (laughs) because it was a hundred. I mean, it was quite hot and most places don't have air conditioning. So sitting in a place for three days at a hundred degrees, like I was, my friend didn't even have a fan in the flat I was staying in. So I was like the internet browned out, like the, the Wi-Fi stopped working. It got so hot at night. I had to end a coaching call at midnight because the Wi-Fi burned out. Like I couldn't stay in the heat. It was so hot. So I do understand that without preparation, like air conditioning or fans, it is quite intense. But then it dipped after that 100 degrees period. It dipped down to like the 60s or something. I was wearing a leather jacket in August and I was realizing to myself, it's not going to get really consistently warm until May from here on out. And I was like, wait, I knew I wanted to wear jeans for a little bit after Hawaii, but I don't know that I want to wear jeans and like jumpers the entire, like I was really, really feeling into 
what the rest, I always visit London in the summer (laughs) and the fall (laughs) and like maybe a little bit over the holidays, but I haven't done a full year of London weather and also the water, the harsh flat, I think it's flat is what you call it. The water, the lime scale in London just Mm -hmm. doesn't feel very healthy for the body and the weather and stuff. So I was like, you know what, if I can live anywhere and again, zero family or any other reason to be in London other than my preferences and the price of the cost of living to live there, but then to travel for so much of the year that I wouldn't want to be there weather-wise, I was like, "Mm, do I really? Do I really, really? And then what ended up happening is I got two people the same day on the third week. So I did two weeks of quarantine for the ability to go from America over to London. Because London with Brexit, I never thought I'd be thankful for Brexit because obviously it's I love the unity of of things and then the sovereignty too. But anyways, I can say that I never thought I'd be so thankful for Brexit, but because of Brexit, when the EU locked their borders to America, the Brexit made it separate so that it didn't lock the borders to America. So I got to go to to London because it wasn't wasn't part of the EU. So it didn't have the EU Schengen region um, stipulations. So all I had to do was get to London and quarantine for two weeks at the time. So I did that. And then on the third week, I was out for coffee with a friend and I had a phone chat with a friend and they both said, they don't even know each other, but the same day, the third week after getting to see the weather change, just kind of really feeling into what London living would be like. And I've spent probably six to eight months in London leading up to this over the last five years. So I thought I knew London, but there was kind of like a more more information, more questioning of it at this time. And they both said the same phrase, you know, the easiest visa to get in Europe is Portugal. They both said the same phrase, the easiest visa to get is Portugal. And I remember looking into the Portuguese visa in the past, but I didn't know about this new visa that they were speaking about. It was new to me. It's called the D7. And all you need is instead of a golden visa, which was what I was previously aware of, golden visa means for Portugal that you can buy a property in Portugal for 500,000 euros, which is around $600,000 cash. You have to have all the money. You don't get a mortgage. You have to have that cash. If you can pay that, you can get a passport over five years. If you own the property for five years and you have to visit Portugal one or two weeks a year, it varies each year of those five years and you get a visa for Portugal. That's the golden visa. And I was aware of that one, but the one that they were both speaking about, I had not heard of because I let go of Sydney with Detroit Pistons Jersey guy. I never thought about living in Lisbon after that until this moment. And they told me about the D7 and the D7 is so simple. And compared to my visa situation in Australia, which we know is very difficult and the golden visa, which is very expensive. This one is all you have to do is make 8,400 euros a year outside of Portugal and not have a criminal record. So don't have a criminal record and make more than 8,400 euros a year outside of Portugal. You can live here. Oh my goodness. That's it. Compared to all the other stuff I was going through, I was like, couldn't believe it. And the other stipulation is you have to spend six months or more a year in Portugal. So when I was looking at this, I was like, well, every visa I've had just traveling on a passport is six months or less in the country that I want to be in. So this one was six months or more. I was like, well, this is great. And also because of those five weeks in London, I got to see, and also I think that I had to like love Hawaii and have the Hawaiian experience of beaches. And I got to fall in love with the ocean and beaches on a whole nother level I'd never had before. And I got to see, oh my gosh, Lisbon's everything I want out of basically Hawaii plus London. It's kind of a, it's a facets of it. I always say Sydney 
is Lisbon and London combined. Sydney to me has facets I love of Lisbon and facets I love of London in a nice mix. But Lisbon's still one of those cities. And I I have to say the favorite place in the world besides Australia, quality of life, Lisbon, Lisbon, Portugal, hands down. London, I still love to visit, but I think I like shopping there. So I think I love eating in Detroit and visiting my friends there. And I love shopping and eating in London, but I don't think I actually need to live in those places. I just want to visit them frequently. But as far as quality of life to live in and cost of living and weather and all the the food and all that kind of stuff, I think Lisbon is the second best to me besides Sydney. So years and years ago, your inner voice when you were pulling into that parking garage (laughs) was was right. right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you this. It gets even better. So that whole thing that I heard around the, like, you're going to live here and your family's going to come to Christmas. That's coming so crazily full circle, magically full circle. So in the last few months, I've started looking into getting an expat accountant for my business. And I've started to look into the expat situation in terms of my taxes and that kind of thing for America as I'm abroad. And as I've been looking into that, oh my goodness, There is a thing called the FEIE, the Foreign Earned Income Exemption. And those that are nomads probably know about this. My brother used this when he traveled remote year. And I, so I kind of was aware of it, but I always spent more time in America than I would have qualified to get this exemption until recently. But now that I've got the visa outside of the country, I've been looking into this and I'm all about the foreign earned income exemption. Basically, if you spend 35 days or less a year in America, you get up to $25,000, $24,000 in tax savings, depending on your tax bracket. So I was like, "Mm mm-hmm, that sounds nice to me. I like visiting America, but I don't need to live there. So I'll do that. Easy. I like that. I like that. I'd rather be other places in the world. So I can travel outside of Portugal five months a year, one month a year in America, and then six months in Portugal if I so chose to do it. So anyways... I don't want to go over the 35 days. And I had thought I would have that start from July to July based on my travels last year. But because of COVID, they did an exception for the foreign earned income exemption. So my travels last year actually count for the foreign earned income exemption because of COVID and this year. So that means my clock starts January 1st, but I just did a 33 days in Hawaii in February or basically around that time, thinking that I would have my calendar start over in July, but now it's not. I've only got two days left for 2021 if I want to use the foreign earned income exemption. And I'm using those May 4th and May 5th to go back to the US to DC to get the Portugal visa and then land on the five-year anniversary in Portugal. So I'll be landing with my residence permit to Portugal on the five-year anniversary, May 5th, Five 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 year anniversary, and I had to call my parents and go, "Hey, so about Christmas, you know, my family's not big on holidays. My family's super super independent and relaxed. Like I don't have any flack or guilt or anything coming from my parents, which I really appreciate. And there are people that have always been kind of work hard, play hard types of people that like understand money. Like that's not a thing that matters as much to me, but like they really respect like if you have to work or whatever. So I was like, well, I'm going to save a lot of money if I don't come back. <laughs> and by the way, why don't I? have you guys come here for Christmas? Because I can pay for your flights here for $2,000 versus spending $25,000 on tax. So that thought that I had five years ago was, I think I'm going to live here and my family's going to come to Christmas. 
why did I think my family's, I just assumed back then that it's because I live there. So I'd want my family to come to Portugal for Christmas, which isn't to say that's not true, but just now I'm looking at it. I literally had a call with my mom a few weeks ago saying, well, I'm not coming back for Christmas. <laughs> so I'd prefer you to come here. <laughs> and if you'd like, I'll pay for your flights. So I just find that so mystically magical that that detail at the time just seemed like on surface value, not that specific, but I'm now very specifically seeing how that's coming into my life now. It is like you have a button and you made a castle. Like it that. is. And it took five <laughs> years for that castle. And honestly, I grew so much by not being in one place. You know, I got stretched like my ability, if we call it that yoga pose. Remember when I said I like was going to pull a muscle in 2018? <laughs> it was like, that's as far as I could bend backwards at that time. I couldn't do it the full back bend. I couldn't do the full wheel or whatever the yoga pose is, you know? I could only go as far as I could go. And now I can go much further and all the way up to the point where I got to that Detroit place, thought that was going to be my home and let it go in an hour and just surrendered it all there. And then, you know, kind of flowed on through 2020 and then to London and then over to Lisbon. And yeah, and here's the thing about the times I thought I was done. My friend, Dan, that's the, the guy's name that I forgot the other episode where I was like, what is his name? The wise one that said, Jess, you always like to make a big story about how this all comes together. And this is the end. <laughs> he goes, what if you just let it be what it is right now? So this is just what it is right now. I'm probably never going to be done in the sense that things will always be flowing and changing. And if my inner voice wants to dream a different dream in a different part of the world, it'll dream a different dream in a different part of the world. This is just probably the marker of five years. And I'm also currently <laughs> back in chats with a visa agent from the past, not the bad one that took my money and lied, but the other one that was fixing it. I've been chatting with him again. And we're still gently exploring things. Oh my gosh. And let me tell you this. This was fun. One night, a few weeks ago, I couldn't fall asleep in San Miguel. So I, for some reason, pulled over my phone and I went on YouTube, like at 1120 at night. I don't, I wasn't going to watch a video. I think I just wanted to see if any new videos had been loaded. It was just a silly thing to pass time because I couldn't sleep. But I saw, I've been following Australian immigration, a news channel. I don't follow any news other than Australian immigration news on a YouTube channel that a visa person <laughs> does in Australia. And he was premiering a YouTube video. I've never seen a premiere. Have you seen a premiere, Megan? Yeah. What do you mean by premiere? Yeah. I don't, I've never seen this before, except for this one night, this one night that I look at my phone, there is a countdown to a new video and it was premiering. I think it was basically when he loaded it to set the time to start at 11, oh. you know, it was going to go live and be loaded. But instead of just being there, they made it air like a TV show kind of airs where you think you're watching it live, but really it's just the first play of that video on YouTube, but they call it a premiere. So he had never done a premiere on any other video I've ever seen, but this one video he premieres and I happened to catch the countdown from one minute down to the start of this podcast episode. So I'm like, this is weird, but the title intrigued me. It was like Australian immigration doing a U-turn. And I was like, hmm, what, what, <laughs> what, what? And then I'm watching this video at 1130 at night in credulous. Talk about a dream reality. The guy was reading an article that had been about the prime minister of Australia. I think that's what they call him. Yeah. Talking about how he was 
going completely backwards and doing a U-turn on their immigration policy based on COVID. And he was like, at the end, he wraps up by saying, like, by the end of 2021 into 2023 may be the most auspicious time to get a visa for Australia ever. And I'm like, have I written this script in my, I am creating my own reality. Like for the last five years, he also explained why it's been so hard for me to get a visa there. They've been really making it harder and harder for immigration to occur because they had this premise in their political, you know, voting that the congestion in cities like Sydney and Melbourne are quite intense. And so they thought it was the migration was making the, the congestion so bad. So they thought they would just limit and curb migration to curb congestion. That was the causation that they were attributing it to. And in the lockdown, they kicked all these people out. Everybody's permanent resident got to stay, but all the other visa holders and stuff were leaving. So then they they got to be alone and they still saw that traffic's still bad. And they said, well, maybe we should do better infrastructure and have better public transport in a city. (laughs) And then maybe the migrants aren't so bad and they can really help our economy. So I was like, oh, like, I could not. I literally, that was one of the most surreal moments to watch that video. It was like watching my mind's dream possibly come true. Oh my gosh. Like it was so wild. I was like, I think I'm creating reality right now. And I could not ever imagine this video being played, but here we are. So again, kind of like with the London UK Brexit, I never thought I'd be thankful for that. But because in in COVID, it really worked out well for me to be able to get over to the UK. And then in the UK is when I found out about the Lisbon visa. And because I've been in the UK, I could go over to Lisbon because that was still a border that was crossable at the time. (sighs) So I got over there. And then because of the COVID with that's really obviously put Australia in a different financial state than they would have been in without it. So that's changing their migration policy. So even things that are mega issues are kind of turning out to flow in my favor in certain ways in my dream reality that I'm creating, which is fascinating. So in summation, I am very excited to be going to Lisbon. I'm very excited to live there and hopefully my family to come to Christmas possibly even. And at the same time, I'm still totally open to Sydney and whatever might happen that way. So we'll see. But I love knowing that all things feel open and possible now rather than limited and less possible. So who knows where the flow will take me, but for now, I'm really happy that I am where I am and I'm excited, as Abraham says, and eager for more.